0: This is IAQ Radio, Indoor Air Quality Radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry. With your host, Radio Joe Hughes, and the Z-Man,
1: Cliff Zlatnik, And now, Radio Joe Hughes. Good day, wherever you're listening from, and welcome to IAQ Radio Plus. This week is episode number 511, and we welcome Chuck Violin, Ross Reek, Owen Boak, and the restoration industry's global watchdog, Pete Consigli. We also hope to have on the roundup, Lee King, RIA President, and Chris Munchek, RIA Executive Director. Please visit our Facebook and YouTube pages and leave a comment, like it, or subscribe. You can also sign up for the weekly show announcement at iaqradio.com, and you can download our podcast through podbean.com, or iTunes. And don't forget we have continuing education credits available. Just send me an email at joe.hughes at IAQ IAQ
2: Radio Platinum sponsor is John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at johndon.com. That's J O N D O N.com. And AEML Laboratories, free FedEx shipping, great pricing, same-day results, and never a rush fee. Learn more at AEMLinc.com. Association sponsors are the Indoor Air Quality Association, a multidisciplinary organization dedicated to promoting the exchange of indoor environmental information through education and research. Learn more at iaqa.org and ria the restoration industry association the granddaddy of the restoration industry network with leaders learn more at restorationindustry.org
0: and now you can win a cool prize it's time for the iaq radio trivia question be the first to correctly answer simply email your answer to c zlotnick at cs.com, or if listening live, just text your answer from your computer. And now, here's the Z-Man with this week's IAQ Radio Trivia
3: Question. Hello, everyone. Congratulations, Victor Cafaro in Richmond, Virginia, for being first to identify Caspar, Baltazar, and Melchior, as the names of the three Magi wise men who, according to tradition, visited Jesus. The IQ Radio trivia question for today, July 20, 2018, has been sponsored by Ideas, the Solution Chemistry Company, creating unique solutions to odor removal, surface cleaning, and decontamination problems. Here is today's trivia question. Who designed the Sydney Opera House? Back
1: to you, Joe. Okay, so I'm, I'm going to do a quick bios on all of our guests. Chuck Violand is the president and CEO, CEO of Violand Management Associates. He's also past president and multi-year member of the board of directors of the Restoration Industry Association. Ross Reek is immediate past chairperson of the RIA Australasian Council chairperson of the Australasian Conference Organizing Committee, an 18-plus-year owner and operator of Carpet Care Services, Carpet Floor Coverings, and Complete Care Restoration based in Sydney, Australia. Owen Boak. Owen is the founder and managing director of Elements, Specialty Cleaning and Restoration in Melbourne, Australia. He chaired the planning committee for RIA's inaugural Australasian Annual Restoration Conference and Trade Show in June of 2018. Owen is RIA's Australasian Council Chair. Pete Consigli. Pete is the restoration industry's global watchdog and a frequent contributor to IAQ Radio. He's been an RIA member since 1977. Over the years, he's been an active volunteer and filled various association leadership roles. Pete is widely recognized as RIA's resident historian and an archival resource to the industry. And then we'll uh, have uh, Lee King, uh, the current RIA president, and Chris Munchak, the current executive director, joining us for the roundup. Cliff, I'm going to turn it over to you for the questions.
2: Thanks,
3: Joe. Well, first question's going to go out to Chuck. Chuck, traditionally, RIA presidents have a short list of things that they want to accomplish during their terms. As RIA's, RIA's immediate past president, what were the key issues you wanted to accomplish? And how did you fare in accomplishing?
4: Uh, That's a great question, uh, Cliff. Uh, I I guess that, you know, a couple things. First of all, we have a strategic plan that we're working from. And so when I became president, which we drafted in 2014, when I became president, uh, there were three initiatives that I wanted to get involved in, in alignment with that strategic plan. And those three initiatives were making RIA an international association. And that has as much to do with our mindset as it does with members in other countries. The second one was to enrich the benefits that RIA members receive as being a member, Uh, to the point where when somebody says, why should I even join the association, we don't flinch when it comes to answering that question. And then the third one was to build a deep bench of industry leaders. this was an unusual time in the history, in my opinion, in the history of RIA, where we're transitioning generations and generations of leaders within the industry. I felt that it was I felt that it was important to get actively involved in doing that. So that's the answer to the first part of your question. The second part was, as I understood it, uh, what kind of progress did we make? And while none of them were intended to be completed within my presidency, I feel that we've made some significant steps in achieving them. Uh, there's still a lot of work left to do with respect to becoming an international association. I'm thrilled that we now have a council position and a council, an Australasian council. That was big. Um, and, but we're not done. I mean, we're continuing to move in that direction. The second one had to do with member benefits. And there is an enormous amount of work, uh, far more work than I ever expected as an outsider that takes place, but a tremendous amount of work with respect to education uh, within the association. And Mark Springer is heading up an awful lot of that. And there's huge progress there. And then the third one was transitioning to a different generation, bringing that next, that next group of leaders into the association. And YPRC was launched. And there are there is just a real base of strong young leaders that will carry RA into the future. So, what's that, what's
3: YRPC stand for?
4: Young Professional, uh, YPRC, Young Professional Restoration Contractors. Okay. Well,
3: well, thank you. All right. Uh, Ross, how old is RIA's Austral Council and what exactly does it do?
5: Yeah. So um, hi guys from Australia. Great, great to be online. Uh, hope Good to have um, you raise. Yeah. love to see you all sometime. Uh, look, we uh, we started back in uh, on the twentieth of October two thousand and fifteen, where uh, uh, our founding chairperson Duncan Bennett, who a lot of you would know over many many years traveling to the states, uh, really wanted to kick things off here in Australia. Uh, we, we've had many uh, members in Australia for over twenty five years, and and had people moving, uh, moving around the world, learning and being a part of RIA's family. So. The idea was to um, originally support our mm. local members here in Australia. So on the 20th of October we, we, uh, in 2015, we had, a, uh, we had a conference here, our first RIA conference. It was only small. We were happy to have uh, Chuck here. He became very famous here quickly with his uh, thongs. Mm. And uh, for, any, <laughs> for those who don't know what thongs are, we call well, them we'll thongs. They're that. actually called sandals. <laughs> And uh, when, when we first said, "Oh, nice thong, Chuck," we got a few funny looks from Chuck right at the offset. <laughs> that was quite funny. And uh, so over that time, we um, uh, we slowly developed uh, with the goal to turn our local region and support network into a, an RIA council. Um, and we worked very hard to do that through many initiatives over that period of time. And then. Uh, in uh, finally 2017, we actually turned our, our council, uh, our organising committee into a uh, or steering committee into a council, uh, and the, and the good thing with that we still have all the same members on board right from uh, from the from the onset. So um, to answer that question, we've been around here a long, long time, but um, the, the steering committee kicked off. Uh, in 2015. So we've come a long way since then. Okay, thank you.
3: Owen, um, you've travelled to the United States and you've been in business uh, in Australia for for quite some time. What similarities and or differences do you see in the Australasian and North American markets for both restoration and indoor air quality?
6: A lot of the... Um, I said there's a great deal of similarity in, in relation to... How we go about about solving our problems here, and and uh, a great deal of commonality, I think, across the, across the industry generally, because most of the the uh, senior professionals in in the industry on both the IAQ and uh, and the restoration side of the fence have uh, have certainly participated in in a great deal of uh, training with IAQA and RIA uh, across across the board and uh, many international organisations there. Um, The biggest difference I I see is is related more to a regulatory and an awareness uh, base in Australia. Um, Our our consumers here are far more protected than they are in the the US or Canada Um, and that puts a lot of brakes on uh, insurers and and, uh, in that sort of sense. Um, Also, our legal system is is slightly different in that uh, here, if you choose to sue someone, uh, you are... um, you're, you're potentially liable for for the person who you're suing costs, uh, so that, that tends to to uh, take away a lot of, uh, um, you know, spurious cases, shall we say, or, or people just doing going hunting. Um, so that, that's made quite a quite a difference to to the market there. So, okay, good.
3: Well, I've got a follow up question to that. Um, yep. There are standards in the United States put out by uh, different organizations, uh, EFC, ASTM, so on and so forth. Uh, Does Australia have any standards of their own for, you know, cleaning, restoration, IAQ?
6: Okay. In relation to... uh... The cleaning of or um, the the, the re- restoration so your mold your water damage that sort of stuff uh we have pretty much universally here by, for the better part anyway accepted the uh the double ICRC standards as being a a, a good starting point, um, although there is certainly awareness of uh, documents such as the EPA uh, mould in schools and commercial buildings and uh, New, York, New York City guidelines. That sort of stuff is, is certainly um, people are aware of that. Um, in fact, we have one government here in Australia, which is on the, w- the west in Western Australia, who has actually referenced some of those documents, which is a good start. But the um, in relation to uh, standards, though, we we certainly have far more standards across. Uh, when you start talking into IAQ issues like uh, uh, lead paint removal, and um, they have to the deal with hazardous materials, um, building building codes. Uh, we certainly reference things like ASTM standards of moisture and moisture in concrete, that sort of stuff. Uh, um, so that we will certainly have our own own standards in, in certain areas, but we also draw on international standards as well.
3: Okay. Um, follow up quest, question to that, uh, if I might. Uh, in the United States, uh, mold coverage was pretty much reduced in insurance policies, and, and many states uh, have a, a limit of five or ten thousand dollars in terms of coverage. Is mold covered in Australia and are there any limitations in terms of finance?
6: Uh, yes, generally speaking, mold is still covered in Australia. Um, again, that comes down to our insurers being far more regulated here and uh, less able to, um, to put uh, you know, specific exclusions around a lot of things. Having said that, there are some policies that uh, that do have um. Have limitation at but uh, I mean the lowest of those I've heard of is eight thousand. That's a very budget insurer, but uh, the more common ones are sort of twenty-five thousand dollars here. So, which still gives you a good, reasonable scope to to do things. But most insurers uh, generally do also recognise that a lot of the damage is actually water damage, so um, they also give you gives you an even greater scope. So you you you're, your figures uh, just related to the actual remediation part of the process,
1: Joe. Uh, with yes. any follow-ups, I got a quick follow-up, Owen. First, thank both. Uh, I want to thank both of you, gentlemen, for joining us at 2 a.m. in Australia. That's uh, above and beyond. We really appreciate it. Uh, but my follow-up is this: uh, although mold is covered, if if the mold results from, let's say, a homeowner's lack of maintenance—they uh, don't clean the gutters, they don't—you uh, know—whatever the the maintenance issue may be—would uh, it still be covered, or does it have to be a covered event?
6: No, that no, has to. We still have a defined event as part of our a uh, uh, part of our insurance contracts here in Australia. So, yeah, pre-existing conditions would be. Uh, excluded generally um, and you know I, I, if you have quality contractors and, and uh, good good assessing staff involved in the process uh, that's usually identified and fairly fairly early up front and you uh, Put back on the on the uh, building owner for, for some degree of uh, contribution towards the restitution thereof or exclusion from the works uh, uh, where it 's possible to do that of course
1: all right and the next question on the list here was um, Australia and, and your contributions to restoration and the indoor air quality industry's best practices what what would you say have been some of australia 's contributions?
6: We've had, uh, I know we've had quite a few people uh, contribute to uh, peer review of standards, but uh, also participating in uh, in the, uh, the actual writing and authoring of standards. Uh, I know at the moment we have uh, one of my uh, fellow Melbournians, uh, Mr. Mehmet Newcar. He's uh, sitting currently on the SV Council, um, sorting, helping to... Uh, Move towards the the current the new uh, new S five twenty revision. Certainly, many of our uh, we also have quite a few uh, notable hygienists. We now actually have claimed one of uh, one of uh, your North American compatriots, Mr. Brad Present. He's certainly contributed many many on many occasions. Uh, um, Got some other notable people like Dr. Claire Bird, uh, Brian Murphy. So Jeremy Stamkos, they all have contributed yeah, on the IAQA space as well.
1: And I, I want to jump in and make sure, Ross, did you have anything you wanted to add on, on the, yeah, any of the questions?
5: I do with that. Um, one of the earlier questions you asked me is what we do as a, uh, as a council here in Australia. Mm. One of our main focuses has been training and uh, really bringing together some of the professionals that we have worldwide uh, within the IAQA space and the RIA space. And uh, Claire Bird uh, is um, the uh, IAQA chairperson here in Australia and she's very active with uh, connecting with us through the council and um, and working together to bring training um, You know, best practices is is a is a complicated um, uh, word I guess, or complicated phrase, because a lot of the best practices comes through the training, and feeding that training down through the ranks down to the guys on the ground who are actually attending jobs. And so, one of the main uh, goals for us has been, and will be in the next two years, based uh, with Owen caring uh, the, the committee is to work in with Claire and, uh, and really start offering a lot of these uh, uh, courses and designations worldwide and bring them into Australia. So that's, that's been a, a really important and prevalent focus. Um, and and that, that brings that back into best practice is, is to really teach our teams and our, our businesses how to uh, approach these jobs and so especially some of the complicated ones.
2: Oh, the, Cliff,
3: uh, the, the reason that I brought it up is uh, I've been thinking a lot recently about something that I'm going to term artificial intelligence. And <laughs> it, it's different, I think, than the, the common definition. You know, what, what I mean with artificial intelligence is a lot of times people go to a training course and they come out of that training course and they're Feeling art—they're feeling intelligent, but they're really artificially intelligent. And mm-hmm. what they learned in the course is what to think. They didn't learn in the course how to think. And you know, one of my big concerns is that there's a lot of uh, technical information exported from you know the United States and exported from other places, and people tend to you know rely on it. You know, like for instance. ICRC standards and so on and so forth, and you know, you know, people that are familiar with the industry know that there's some pretty significant flaws, you know, in those documents. But essentially, when people quote those documents, uh, you know, it, it gets it gets perpetuated. So I really think that you know, your structures are a little bit different, and I, I think that every country uh, really contributes, you know, in their own way because of, you know, I, I think. People just need to be open-minded, and, you know, I, I wanted to mention that.
6: What about Europe? Go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just going to, just on that point you were just talking about there, Cliff, I think uh, in relation to our structures and also our textiles uh, and things like that, we, we, we have a great deal of difference to uh, to many North American uh, methods of construction. Our buildings generally tend to be, or well, up until very recently, were far more open in the construction uh so um which allowed a lot more natural air to actually come in because we're not we're not really don't have a great deal of cold climate um as you would understand it to be cold um so most of australia's habitable areas are quite temperate and and accordingly we've uh we've built along those lines and yes we do absolutely we uh, we interpret those um, those standards in line with our own own construction standards and uh, and that 's a very important i couldn 't agree more it 's a very important part of uh, rather than blindly adopting things.
3: Thank you. Um, I, I guess if, if both you and, and, and Ross could comment on the next question, what about Europe in terms of being a provider of products and research and training and, and technology uh, for your market?
4: Um,
5: <clears throat> the, uh, we, we've had a, 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 a company, a, a, one of our restoration guys here for, um, who's been in the industry many, many years, uh, has uh, has identified the fact that um, a lot of the European technologies work quite well over here in Australia because of the um, uh, the voltage here. So, you know, obviously we have a two hundred and forty volt uh, system in Australia, um, and 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 obviously uh, over there I think you've got a one hundred and ten volt. So, you know, a lot of the heat drying systems that That they use in Europe, we use quite successfully here. Um, uh, Gary from uh, Restoration or Restore Solutions uh, has really been working closely with the Europeans to bring a lot of those technologies into the marketplace here. And uh, I I guess um, one of the 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 heat dry systems that we're using here now are becoming uh, a part of the, uh, the the standard kit for the for the standard restorer in Australia. So we find the influence quite, quite strong. Um, you know, we, traditionally over many years, we've, uh, we've been um, utilising the US um, equipment, chemicals and technology. So this has sort of come in over the last four years. Um, what are your thoughts on this, Owen? Do you, um, do you want to buy? You know, I, I think um, we seem to be seeing a lot more of the European equipment, and the equipment's quite good, and it does actually fit within our uh, you know, 240 volt systems in Australia.
6: Yep. Thanks, Ross. Um, I couldn't agree more. It's, we've certainly seen a, a quite a shift over to to, uh, to the use of heat as part of uh, part of our, our drying technologies in, in Australia, and. Uh, um, the, the drymatic system out of uh, out of the UK has been uh, probably the largest contributor to to that. We don't we have got uh, a reasonable amount of desiccant technology here, but not as much as you do in the US. And uh, these are found; these units have been found to be quite quite useful. We're also not uh, probably quite a subject to uh, some of the issues that you guys have had with heat use of heat in buildings and and uh, all of that, which I won't go go too far into, but um, uh, that, that's certainly been good. We also have uh, probably the other European manufacturer that uh, has made quite an impact in recent years has been uh, Trammex with their their concrete meters, in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're becoming part of uh, a big part of the uh, the restoration landscape in Australia. Uh,
3: a follow up, I guess, question for both um, for both you and Ross. Um, you said that drymatic. Um, there's, there's been a shift towards it, and I'm not necessarily that familiar with it. My question is: Is the drymatic system a focused system where the heat is, you know, enclosed and and, and you know focused towards what you want to dry, or is it a system that heats the entire building indiscriminately?
5: Uh, they have they have both.
6: For, yeah I was respect. just
5: going to say they have both uh, look initially uh, mm. where we took advantage and, and where gary initially um, uh, mm. worked with the european system was was for timber floor drying mm. um, and and uh, mm. that system we were looking for some evolution into a, a better way to dry floors mm. uh, and and we have a traditional uh, traditionally in australia timber flooring or hardwood flooring is um it goes back a long way, and a lot of the homes uh, were originally built with some beautiful floors and um, timber floors and so there were, there were a lot of the contractors were having troubles getting them dry, so the drymatic system initially started uh, uh, to to advance timber floor drying and I guess over over a period of time of having that heat drying system working, um, then the other benefits of heat drying started to evolve. And I guess with Drymatic's uh, training and and evolution of of their gear, and especially as technology moves over the last few years, uh, a lot of the guys now are are using the the heat for just day-to-day drying um, to to speed up the process. Uh, And and look, I think... um, Restore solutions with Gary does that very well. They, they uh, you know, obviously, if you bought the kit and you're using heat dry uh, for timber floors, then, uh, you know, you, you want to be using it for other things too. So it's evolved into a, a standard kind of drying system here. Mm-hmm.
6: Thank you. they're very useful as well with um, their their larger system is actually uh, more designed in a in a similar method to a desiccant in in that it's heating the structure and exhausting the wet air out of the structure so um, so yeah they have both both a targeted system and and a and a, um, a, a heat the whole structure or whole area type approach as well. Good.
3: All right, I think we want to switch it over to Pete at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Pete, uh in your role as conference facilitator, and uh we know that you work with a North American team of experts to do a roadshow, uh, if you could just comment on how that went.
2: Well, one of the things
7: that that Owen chaired the planning committee and uh he reached out to me, you know, months before the conference to uh through some ideas, you know, and I've, I've been sitting in on, uh, you know, I'm in the, in the loop on the Australian council stuff and have been for quite a while. And so, um, uh, we basically, uh, worked and put a program together with uh, Chris Schumacher and, uh, Aaron Loybin, you know, Loybin, uh, your pro, your pro, your original protege there, Mr. Cliff from the old Unsmoke days. And, uh, you know, the, the folks at legends really, uh, helped support and kind of un- underwrite part of the trip and uh, you know, Chris has been doing the building science training uh, for REA probably for about ten years. He's already been over to Australia um, at least one one time, maybe twice in the past. So, um, in order to you know, it's very expensive to bring a lot of these North American trainers over to Australia with the travel and also in dealing with the uh, with the exchanges of the currency and whatnot. So, some of the local members, uh, Owen took the lead in this uh, with some other uh, the, you know uh, uh, REA members. They, um, they helped share and underwrite some of the costs that didn't come directly out of the REA budget, and we did some training uh, in Melbourne and Brisbane before going to the conference uh, to train the insurance adjusters, uh, some builders, uh, um, uh, uh, IEP-type experts. Uh, in, in one of the classes, there was the garment guy. There were some public adjusters, you know, things of that nature. It kind of helped the, uh, the end-user market. And Chris did a fabulous uh, opening technical presentation at the conference. Uh, Gary did a presentation, too, on fire damage, and but specifically their other role that was really great, uh, Chris did a pre-conference, uh, the one-day REA building science course, which we filled the room for limits. We had close to 40 people in there, and the class was fabulous. We had uh, several lab directors in there, PhD types. We had the one uh, uh, lady from uh, Singapore that came over that was on the IQA panel. Um, uh, obviously, a lot of the contractor members. Um, and a very uh, diverse group. It was a fabulous program. Gary did a post conference uh, odor control IACR odor control class. I had about twenty five in there, and uh, that that went very well too. And um, anyway, so that was uh, that's kind of how the how you had the members uh, working in conjunction kind of with the, with the association budget. So there was a win win all around for for both the conference, uh, local members uh, educate the market. You know, um, and be able to kind of get these uh, multidiscipline audiences really for the classes and for the training. So I, I, think, it, I think it went went really fabulous. It basically, to wrap up, my role as the facilitator. The other, there were two things that you kind of talked the plane about. One was to help organize a roadshow, which would allow those extra speakers to also be on the general program. And then the other thing was um, to uh, to be the facilitator for the conference, kind of the sergeant arm. I guess I kind of have a unique calendar known in the RA circles for that. And, um, it just, it, uh, I really enjoy doing it. Um, and, uh, if, you know, uh, if they want to invite me back next year, I certainly would be pleased to, to, please to do that again, kind of make this annual trip over to Australia where
5: you can handle the
7: business part and also visit with all the friends I've kind of developed there over the years. So anyway, that, um, that, uh, that's the
3: deal. On that. Pete, I guess as a follow-up to that, can you comment on, uh, mm-hmm. other industry dignitaries that, you know, happened to be there that, you know, weren't native Australians?
2: Yeah. So, but, so what's happened is
7: there were several, you know, we got the, 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 the event got really wide range support from a lot of the industries besides the IEQA connection, obviously kind of partnering in the educational part of the program. Uh, the, uh, uh, the, leader, uh, the, uh, the lady who heads up the ISSA, uh, you know, was there. Um, the local press was there for main Clean. But the IICRC had a really, uh, you know, had a role in the conference and uh, their leadership, uh, Pete Dickinson, and uh, Craig Kirschermeyer, Steve Miranda, the executive committee people, and Richard Green, their executive director, uh, came over. Uh, they obviously had a booth in the conference hall, and i went in part two, Ross will talk a little bit about the unique way how they had the, the how they set the conference up between education and then uh, the little vendor presentation that was really very unique, I think, and very successful. But um, starting last year when we did the transition REA, one of the ideas that we kind of came up with, was um the the already uh, you know uh, procedure of where we recognize all our grants that uh, designates like we do at our, our annual convention the Aussies wanted to do that there which we did and uh, the idea was brought up that uh, there's, there's so many IICRC people over there that they do that for their master you know designates uh, whether it's the, the, the restorers the cleaners of, you know the different ones that they have and so um, they got some stage time at some podium to do that and to kind of give a plaque so I thought that was a very collaborative Uh, Very well done. And there was a lot of just fruitful conversations that took place, uh, you know, in the leadership between the council and the REA leadership. um, You know, they just, you know, how can the organization work together for the greater good of the industry? So uh, anyway, I thought that was you know, a good little kind of cherry on the top of the cake for the event.
3: All right, Joe, what do you think? Half-time?
1: Yeah, let's go to halftime. When we come back, we've got uh, part two. We'll get Chuck back in here a little bit more, and uh, we'll, we'll talk to Pete a little bit more and kind of go a little more general uh, on, on the industry in general. Let's, uh, let's break for halftime. We'll be right back uh, with our guests. IAQ Radio Platinum sponsor is John Don
2: Products, where restoration and abatement contractor shop. Visit them at johndon.com. That's J-O-N-D-O-N dot com. And AEML Laboratories, free FedEx shipping, great pricing, same-day results, and never a rush fee. Learn more at AEMLinc.com. Association sponsors are the Indoor Air Quality Association, a multidisciplinary organization dedicated to promoting the exchange of indoor environmental information through education and research. Learn more at iaqa.org, and RIA, the Restoration Industry Association, the granddaddy of the restoration industry, network with leaders. Learn more at
1: restorationindustry.org. All right, let's get back to the second half. Pete, I want to bring you in. There were apparently three panels that hit a chord with the audience, and um, I wonder if you could tell listeners and maybe give them a couple key feedback points from those uh, panels. Yes.
7: Yeah. So let me kind of give a little quick thing on that and then jump over to Chuck uh, cuz Chuck Chuck had uh, did a great uh, kind of a I kind of called it a keynote he, he actually had 1 hour on the program. And most of the other speakers had shorter time. He, he did a fabulous job so he'll weigh in on that. So listen, there were three panels that we had. One of them I facilitated, obviously the the whole, the whole event, Mr. Chairman. One panel in particular I was actually the moderator for, which is a different role of the facilitator. And that was kind of a, um, a, a kind of industry perspective, state of the restoration industry, and in Oz panel. And um, uh, it seems that you know uh, I, I kind of turned it to we had the Melbourne Mafia on there. We had Oliver out <laughs> from. Uh, Who's uh, the CEO of Stomatic? They're kind of the largest, uh, probably restoration, privately owned kind of network over there. We had Mamadoukara, um, uh, uh, you know that uh, Owen Rick, uh, uh, t- uh, mentioned that serves on the S five twenty committee, and um, and then David Quinn, who's also has a restoration company in Melbourne, and then also has a national kind of QPA type of network called Fen. I think it's the flood or flood industry network or something of that nature, and. So we kind of addressed really the hard-hitting issues. And what we kind of found that came out of that is, is they have all the same issues that we have in North America and the U.K., uh, you know, dealing with the carriers, dealing with the scope, dealing with the on standards, the uh, different levels of certification, pricing issues, uh, lowering margins, you know, the GPAs. But um, they had some really very unique kind of approaches, uh, and they have a, a, a how to address. And I also think that the market is evolving there where, the U.K. market has a very distinct difference between the builders and the restoration industry. Canada is a pretty much all full service, and the U.S. is multi-models. I think how Australia, over the next few years, will determine how that market is going to ferret out. I tend to think it's probably going to follow a little bit more of the U.S. model, but I think time will tell as builders and others are in there. The other two panels, the IAQA panel was great. Claire Bird headed that up as the chair. She had Brad Fazan, both of those chair. Jeremy Stankos, Chin uh, Peng, um, I, don't, I hope I didn't get a name wrong, who was the PhD lady who did a fabulous case study as a separate presentation from Singapore. And um, they addressed a lot of the issues around mold and sampling and all the traditional stuff uh, with audience interaction. I, think, I thought that was terrific. Now, those two particular panels, I am going to kind of facilitate over the next couple of months um, an article, in CNR Magazine, to get all the key points out. Uh, well, one of the things we try to do in the magazine is um, you know uh, every month, every other month, kind of get something from the international audience. So we had a lot of stuff that came out of the conference to probably give us some content that kind of can, can kind of go for the rest of the year. And the third panel that I thought was interesting was headed up by Scott McFazin, well known in the IIC industry circles. He's also REAWS, and he. Had a mm-hmm. panel with uh, somebody from the insurance company and one time RA member, who's kind of a specialty drying contractor in North Queensland, and they mm-hmm. talked about the flood response that they had, kind of similar to the U.S. cat response. You guys that the show covered last year, how they responded, how they networked it, uh, as contractors, uh, working with the insurance thing, all that. I think I think Scotty did a great job of putting that. So those those three panels. Um, uh, were really fabulous, and I think there was a lot of good content and a lot of information that was kind of leaned
3: forward for, for the members. Pete, as right. as as one follow up to to what you said, in the United States uh, at RIA events and, and other events, we always have to be careful uh, mm-hmm. with governmental regulations, you know, monopolies and mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so on and so forth. Uh, do you have to be as careful in Australia? You know, at your events, can you publicly say what you think and feel and mean and so on and yeah. so forth, so, or they, so, they got to temper it.
7: Yeah. Right. So let me comment on that, and then later on, when you go back to Russ and uh, and Owen, if they want to make a comment, that will be fine. Look, we, for one thing, the council operates under the auspices of RAA, and RAA has the uh, uh, an antitrust policy, a uh, uh, professional decorum policy, uh, issues dealing around copyrights, and all that kind of stuff. We open the conference with that, and we enforce our policy through all our events globally, no matter where they are. Now, having said that, and that policy talks about not only U.S. law, but international, provincial law, like in Canada, et cetera. Having said that, there are some laws in Australia, and there are actually some in Canada that allows them to do something differently than we can do in the in the U.S., but it's, we don't go down that rabbit hole, and we're very careful, and the reason that we don't is it just... Very contentious, and I think one of the points I having enforcing a good antitrust policy and rules of decorum, it allows for good order in a much better-flowing conference where people are, are uh, can speak openly, we uh, we, we, we um, prohibited having any recordings and people taking uh, pictures, you know, and that kind of a thing, so that things uh, all, all of a sudden are taken out of context. They're not on YouTube, they're not on Twitter and stuff like that, and it allows for uh, an open and free-flowing uh, Thing so that's that's it, but are there some different in the law? Yeah, there's a few, but I don't think they're that significant, and I don't really think that the, they really affected the confidence. So, but thanks for the follow up. Good question.
1: Let me, hey, Cliff, let me jump over to Chuck. Um, Chuck, you, you've got you know, you, you help business owners with uh, managing their business and so on. Uh, I got well, first, I got a two part question. The first part is um, one of your three. Key uh, accomplishments you were trying to help RIA continue to um, strive toward was to become an international association, and you know I'm not a uh, a restoration guy. I follow the restoration industry. I, I do a little bit with it, but I'm more of an IAQ guy. And 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 it seems to me like Australia is kind of the the main international group that that uh, RIA and others get buy-in from and, and oftentimes travel to and have conferences at. And I'm wondering, um, Pete mentioned the U.K. a few times. I'm just curious, how's, how's it been going with getting more buy-in from groups like the U.K. or maybe the Asian countries or the European countries? Uh, why, and if you're not getting that buy-in, why do you think that is?
4: That's a great question, Joe. Uh, there's a lot of facets to it. Uh, in the first place, not only is it the UK, but I don't want to forget the Canadian market, which isn't part of the international market. Great point. And so we have, we have a, a great representation in Canada, uh, an active, active group up there, as well as Australia. And Pete has done a lot to open the door in the UK. I know that uh, last year we were invited to participate in their event. Unfortunately, none of us were able to make it over in the future though i'd like to do that the reason i want the reason that that was important to me uh, while i was president i think it's important to bring a broader perspective to restoration sciences than what we simply see in the us and i think by expanding or by including uh, a greater more more countries we're going to we're going to have that and i think it will make the entire
1: industry stronger All right. and Let's go to part two. You know, with that, if we don't make money, you know, we're not going to be able to help the industry. We're not going to be parts of associations and, um, you know, things will just dry up. So if you could tell listeners a little bit about, you know, your presentation and give them a few tips, key points on tuning up their business.
4: Happy to. Uh, First of all, every time I've presented to an Australian audience, they've always been very gracious and very accepting of what I'm offering to them. And this was no exception. So it makes it really enjoyable and fun for me as a presenter. And they were great. The presentation I gave is called The Five Steps of Growing a Small Business. And essentially what it does, Joe, it takes a business from startup through multi-million dollars in revenue. Because the audience was made up of a vast range of size companies, I wanted to touch on all of those and show them the key issues that they need to be addressing at each of the different stages of the business. These are all predictable. I didn't make this stuff up. This is, this is just in business. Uh, the, the key challenges that they have, where they should be utilizing their time, what the objectives are at each stage, what skills they need to be developing, which is different when you're a startup or even a, a million dollar company than they are when you're a two or $5 million company. We grow businesses, restoration contractors grow their businesses. At the outset, we focus on technical skills, which you have to. As the business grows, that shifts. And now we need to be dealing with management and leadership issues in order to continue to scale the business. So that's what the presentation was about. It also had org charts for different size companies just as a visual to help people better understand and model their companies.
1: Uh, Chuck, I remember going to one of your events and you had like three, three areas that an individual should focus on if they wanted to help to grow their business, make their business more profitable, etc. I don't remember what they were. And maybe you're not, can you can you go over that for us with listeners? Absolutely. That's
4: and thanks for asking, Joe. That's fundamental. We call that our sustained profitable growth model, and that's fundamental to the work that we do at Violin Management. It's a Venn diagram, and it's three. We refer to them as dynamics. Three circles that intersect. the The bottom, the bottom right one is the business dynamic, which is where we measure things. That's the tangible things in our businesses. The one on the left hand side at the bottom is the people dynamic. That's all the people involved in growing the business. And then the top one is the executive dynamic. And that's the executive who drives this whole thing. All of those dynamics are constantly in flux, but they're all self-leveling. So at some point, if one outgrows the other, either the other two have to grow or the one has to shrink. And so the the, the job, the the task of the owner is to try to grow them in some, some form of... Uh, similarity
1: so you want to try and, and, and bring those all up at the same time what, right. what which of the three do you find business owners are most often kind of letting letting go a little bit not really putting as much effort as they should be
4: it's always the same one joe it's always the top one the executive yep. the business the business will grow at the rate the owner grows bottom line
1: Gotcha. Fantastic. Great, great, uh, great advice for our listeners. Uh, let's, let's go over to to Ross. I mean, we're running a little tight on time and we've got a list of questions about the event. Um, I want to go back, Ross, to the first question I asked Chuck. How did you tie in the international stage? You know, uh, wh- how many countries were represented? Um, how did you get them there? And you know, it's it's a little expensive to get to Australia, but um, you seem to be able to get people to attend these events. Um, tell us a little, tell listeners a little bit about the international stage.
5: Yeah, thanks, Joe. Look, Australia, we, we rely on our international uh, uh, family, I guess we call them. Uh, we, you know, over here we have a lot of suppliers from the U.S. and as we mentioned earlier, uh, U.K., uh, we're starting to get a lot of interest from uh, from Asia. Uh, obviously, a lot of our gears manufactured in Asia. Um, so you know, or, uh, organically, we, we've got people coming here regularly and being a part of our community uh, because we rely so much on our imported equipment and technologies. Now, our wages are very high in Australia. Uh, manufacturing here has slowed down over many years. So. Uh, you know, our whole industry is really based on our international market. Um, so, it, yeah, it was quite, quite easy to get uh, our internationals over here. And actually, a lot of our conference um, was designed specifically to educate the RIA members and the, 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 uh, uh, the attendees as to what's available. What, what can they use in their businesses to really, uh, when they walk away from the conference, you know take something away and i think our international suppliers and guests really uh helped us with that and and understand that so there's a lot of business here um which uh uh you know which is inviting so yeah and of course it was a nice venue nice area good holiday destination we try to put these events on in areas where you know if you want to come do some business, but you know, also have a holiday and enjoy. I think Chuck enjoyed some time here and on, on Hamilton Island with his mm-hmm. lovely wife Karen. And we did, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's so there's kind of there's there's a lot to have out here, and then lot to enjoy. How many
1: people were, attended the show and and the convention, and and can you give us an estimate on how many were from Australia and how many were from other parts of the world?
5: Look, we uh, around about two hundred we had um, attend. Um, we had some visitors and guests. I guess majority of the attendees were from Australia, and that and that was a, a fantastic uh, thing to see. I mean, you know, we tr- we saw a lot of people there that I call them the old boys in the industry, who you know you <laughs> traditionally don't see at a lot of the events. You know, they generally send their staff or their managers um you know, the old boys were there and i think it was it was good to see that because that i i, I truly believe the international influence is a part of that uh because the old boys were the, the leaders in in really connecting us with the us and uk uh, and we saw them at the conference which was great Um so uh you know i i think that with with the amount of attendees we had and, and our guests and, and the, the event was an, an absolute success. And we we're all very happy to, uh, to be there.
1: At, at this point in the show, we typically go to a roundup. Unfortunately, um, John, just let me know we don't have the music for the roundup. So I'm going to kind of uh, giddy up, go round up myself <laughs> here. And uh, we're going to bring everybody in for a final question. Cliff, why don't I start it off with you? Uh, let you go ahead and start the final questioning. And I think we've got uh, Lee, is Leon uh, and Chris Lee Lee King and Chris Bunchek are both going to join us. Why don't we cliff?
3: Well, Joe, before we do that, I think there's still a couple of things uh, that would be important to cover. Um, I, I think one question for Owen first is what steps are being taken to make 2019 bigger and better?
6: Thanks. Uh, thanks. Cliff. I think uh, we, twenty twenty eighteen was our first uh first go at uh, running a conference down here in australia and uh in a, in a, in any sort of large scale capacity um but we 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 learned a lot from that exercise and uh we we're certainly working on bringing some some fantastic uh Again, once again, fantastic international speakers. Uh, we've we've got a lot more participation planned for next year with IAQA. They're going to have their own, going to run a specific IAQA day, um, whereas they were just a, a part of the program this year. Uh, so that that'll give a, a a bigger forum to the to IAQ issues uh, in their industry, um, and. Uh, I think uh, we, we got a lot of positive comment and I think we'll find uh, our numbers will only continue to grow both uh, nationally and, and internationally. Uh, we had a lot of representation from both, we had some representation from Singapore but also from uh, our, our brothers in New Zealand who uh, certainly came over in reasonable numbers and uh, I expect to see that continue for the coming years.
3: All right, we got to go to Pete. Pete, industry service <laughs> is important to organizations. Tell us about the special award presentation that was made at the event.
2: Yeah. So, Cliff, um, before I do that,
7: very quickly, I'd like to tag in off of some of those questions that uh, Joe was talking with Ross about, which I think are important. And he talked about the international, uh, you know, who else? He didn't mention Canada. And there, there were two international suppliers that went over there uh, at the event. One was uh, the AML Labs. And, uh, you know, mold is a big issue over there, traveled over there. I think there was a lot of interest in all the lab activity. But the other one was uh, EnCircle. I think they've been over there before. Chris Riznowski from uh, EnCircle uh, uh, did a, did a, a fabulous presentation on the convention. And in talking with the EnCircle folks, they also were kind of visiting with some of the insurers and the carries over there and got some stuff kind of going on there that may lead to developments in software and platforms and stuff. So I think that is pretty important. The fact that you get North Americans that would travel over there and look for business opportunities, kind of like Ross said, there's some business to be had. So anyway, I, I thought that was a kind of a, an important point, uh, the tag off that, that, uh, put into the blog. Now let's kind of move to this, uh, final thing here. And I imagine you're going to go into the roundup. So, uh, the, um, the planning committee, uh, uh, wanted to follow some of the traditional uh, REA traditions I talked earlier about the, the how we recognize the uh, induction ceremony every year at the annual convention. I wanted to recognize uh, the uh, RA, uh advanced uh, certification people over there. There was, I think we probably had eight or 10 of them that went on the stage and there's others who were kind of in the pipeline that, that will probably maybe be inducted next year, either in the Oz or in our U.S. convention or possibly both. And then, uh, of course, the, the other, the, the big major award every year at REA is the Martin L. King award. And, uh, it's not really identified as a lifetime achievement award of the, Most of the guys that get it over the years, there's been all kinds of innovators and different people that have gotten the award, uh, certainly during, you know, Martin's heyday and, and you know, before death. So, um, the committee decided and developed, uh, what they want to call the Australasian lifetime achievement award. And, um, they wanted me to kind of oversee that during their uh, conference dinner, which had a kind of a beach thing. We were supposed to be outside for it on the beach, but the weather wasn't good. So we did it inside, but they still, everybody wore shorts and they had all beach beach paraphernalia, so it was really fantastic. And um, anyway, the, the entire committee decided that they wanted to give this to Duncan Bennett, who's been mentioned, a um, long term advocate in the region, and they wanted me to to, to, hand, to handle it. And so we kind of modeled the activities uh, after the Martin L. King Award, but it's the lifetime achievement in the Australasian market. And the thing that surprised the heck out of me is the entire council knew Duncan was going to get it and they didn't leak. It was no leak. I mean the surprise, no one knew outside of that the councils and myself and of course RA staff. Chris Munchak did the plaque. He brought the plaque over on the plane, gave it to me. Anyway, it was unbelievable. The emotional the people that were in the room will never forget that. Early on, I think Duncan knew it was him. And, uh, you know, after I called him to the stage and Ashley, Ross, and Duncan, uh, and um, Owen were there to, to greet him and take the formal presentation, he, we thought he was, and, and the emotion was so sincere, it was unbelievable. Eventually, he collected his his, uh, you know, his emotions, and once he got the podium, he was a pure Duncan, and it was really great. And he recognized and acknowledged Marty and all the stuff they he did, and then we had a lot of fun. We took quite, quite a few pictures. There'll be a whole write-up in the CNR magazine that'll be coming out next month, and uh, along with the general write-up on the conference, it's going to be the cover story. Ross took the lead on that, but anyway, that that was fabulous, and um, I think they want to kind of continue with these REA traditions, but uh, maybe with a little bit of uh, uh, a lost relation kind of twist to it. Anyway, so that was fantastic. Anyway, guys, uh, I think this probably concludes part two, and I'll turn it back over to you guys for the roundup.
1: Okay, Joe. Uh, Let's I'll go turn to the roundup. To We've got the music. Hit
2: him up, hit him up. Move him move him Hit him up, draw high.
1: Cut him out, ride him in, ride him in. Let him out, cut him out. Ride him in. Draw high. Okay, Cliff, why don't you take the first one? Okay. Uh, if
3: I have the first one, it's really a selfish question from uh, from my perspective. And, Joe's. Uh, can you tell us what speakers or panelists from your event should be future guests on IEQ? Radio? Right <laughs> Good one.
7: Hey, Chris, who are, you, who are you asking that question of? Is that a toss up?
3: That's a toss up. I'm, I'm. I'm. We're I got, looking. I
7: got, I got two right here, and 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 they are mentioned already on the show. The two people who I think should be on the show would be fabulous guests. One is going to be Oliver Trevfall, who's the CEO of Stomatic Australia. He travels all over the world. Uh, The whole uh, Stomatic here in the U.S. had their 50th anniversary uh, big blowout convention uh, just a few weeks ago, maybe a month ago, and a lot of the Stomatic members that were at the conference with Oliver all traveled over for that. And uh, uh, So he's got an unbelievable international perspective. Besides out of Australia, I think Oliver would make a fabulous guest. The other guy is Brad Pizan. Uh I, I think that you know Brad. I, I've known Brad into the, well into the '90s. And Cliff, I think you'll remember him and probably knew him from our days when we used to work with Merck. And he hosted one of the cleaning uh, for health symposiums that I facilitated with Smith and the Merck people uh, on the West Coast in Seattle, Gene Cole, and a lot of the usual suspects, and uh, very well known in the AIHA circles. And then he. He sold his business, wrapped it up, and he basically moved to New Zealand and a few years back moved to Australia. He's been over there for several years. He actually is in the U.S. right now. I actually talked to him a few days ago. He was up in Maine doing some stuff, and I think he's traveling back to in a couple of weeks. He's got an unbelievable international handle, too, based on his experience. Those two guys, in my mind, are almost absolute guys that we should run down and should be guests on there. So, I, you know, you 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 want to Watch to help in that, just let me know and we'll follow up on that. But um, anyway, throw it back to the rest of the panel, uh, any other thoughts they have, because we yeah, have a lot I, of great talent. I,
5: I think we, we had a really good speaker, uh, Jeremy Stankos. Uh, actually, Owen probably knows more about Jeremy, but I was very impressed with his take on uh, hazards in the, in, the, in the industry. And when, uh, you know, really hands-on, Information on—I um, mean, did you know there was asbestos in toothbrushes? Did you know that. I thought it was really interesting. You know, he had some some good stuff there. So he—I think he would be a good contributor. What do you think, Owen?
6: I think Jeremy would be very good. He's also got a very strong uh, um, HVAC background as well, and uh, I think that he would—he would certainly have some uh, be an interesting contributor to the to the discussion
2: yeah he's, a,
7: he's been an ashray member for a long time so i think he'd probably fit really good guys with your uh, you know with kind of the ieq you know segment of your listenership
1: Thanks. Cleo, maybe this would be a good time to bring in lee uh lee king he's on the line uh current president of RAA. lee do we have you
8: yes sir i'm here
1: All right. Welcome to IAQ Radio. I just wondered if you had any final thoughts for listeners. And uh, I I don't know, did you go over for this event?
8: I did not go this past year. Uh, I'm planning on going in 2019. And we just really, as an association, appreciate uh, Owen and Chris and Duncan and Ross and uh, Ashley and that whole group and, just the event turned out to be a, a, a great success and we've heard nothing but rave reviews about it. And we look forward to it in the future. Um, and just really excited about it.
1: Okay. Any other thoughts from the first, uh, I don't know if you got a chance to listen to the whole show or not.
8: I did. Uh, one thing I did want to comment on, and it was a, a comment that Cliff made earlier about how you, you attend a lot of the, the, uh, The classes and the courses, and most of them are technically oriented. And you, you, Chuck, even touched on this, but you attend the classes and you come out knowing what to do, but you don't really come out learning, you know, how to think about the problem and how to how to really uh, convert that into uh, bottom line dollars for your business or for your the business that you work for. And that is really an an important observation and. And I would give RIA a, a kind of a, a toot for the, on their horn that's so critical that some of these conferences that we sponsor and the conventions and the various uh, smaller conferences, you really do learn these things by associating with them within the RIA. And you meet other business owners and you meet industry icons and you meet people that have encountered the problems that you face. And that's where you learn how to think about these issues and how to convert those technical skills that you learn into dollars for your company and so it's great observation and um you know we want to encourage people to uh to join ria for that reason
1: network with leaders lee thank you for joining us uh let's get we got chris Munchek on as well chris are you still on the line Maybe we lost Chris. All right. Well, let's go around the horn, gentlemen. Hey, hey Joe, hey,
2: maybe Chris.
7: hey Joe, Chris may have been on mute, and maybe he's trying to unmute. Like, give him another another shout out and see see if Chris is on there.
1: Well, actually, I I just see his camera right now. Or maybe we have him muted. The last one, Don Joe. Oh, he's gonna, he's gonna he was going to
3: call
1: in. He was going to call in on the phone. Uh, well, all right. Well, if if he's there, Chris, if you're there, give us a holler. Uh, jump in at any point. Let's go around the horn real quick for final thoughts. Uh, let's start with Chuck.
4: Guys, I just want to thank you again for inviting me to be on here, and it's always great seeing my my buds down in Australia, Owen and Ross here. So uh, it was great seeing you guys, and always great being part of the program. Thanks.
1: Always appreciate having you, Chuck. Uh, Ross, any final thoughts?
5: Yeah. Look, I was going to say I'd love to say it's a lovely, warm, sunny day outside, and I'm I'm bright, and wide awake in the middle of the day, but 2 a.m. here. It's always a pleasure to get up in the middle of the night, you know, come and, and see our RIA family and our friends and we, we love you down here. So thanks for having us.
1: Well, and thank you for uh, getting up and uh, hanging in there with us for a little over an hour here. Owen,
6: final thoughts. Uh, like to echo Chuck's thoughts. Thank you very much for having us on and supporting uh, RIA with their, our conference endeavors down here. And uh, you've got quite a healthy fan in Australia. So, uh, uh, lots of regular listeners out of the world, so what are you doing, 't guys?
1: We do appreciate the the fan base in Australia. Uh, listeners, are, I, I love it. Um, and you guys mentioned Brad Prezant. We have had him on, uh, but it's probably been eight years. We've been doing this for 11 years now, and uh, he's a co-editor of the AIHA Green Book on uh, Recognition Evaluation and Control of Indoor Mold. He did a great job, but You are right. It's uh, well past time that we brought him back. So we'll definitely do that. And uh, let's wrap it up uh, with Pete Consigli. Pete, final thoughts before we call it a day.
7: Yeah, well, there's one thing that I think needs to be said, and Cliff, it needs to be in the blog, and I can't believe that between Owen and Ross, neither one of them brought it up. So, guys, I'm going to save your collective butts. We need to give a huge shout-out. To Ashley he used to be, his daughter Natasha, who goes by Tash, and uh, her cohort Tamika. I can't remember Tamika's last name, but Tamika uh, I think uh, used to work for, for Owen and Chris down there in Melbourne. So uh, one of Ashley's companies that he has, uh, he's got a company that basically handles kind of uh, event handling and things like that. And he, he oversees as an agent uh, for RAA. They handle a lot of the organizations locally and work in conjunction with the smith Buckland staff in Chicago, mm-hmm. and, uh, and basically, Tash and Tamika do all the heavy lifting, all the organizing. And let me tell you, those two ladies and Ashley and that, that whole little uh, group through his uh, Nolus company it, it did just a fabulous job. I mean that they were flawless in attention to detail, crossing the T's, dotting the eyes, you know, all the arrangements mm-hmm. for the event to we run smoothly and without having that level of support uh you know ashley was on the planning committee obviously with uh, with ross and uh, and owen and um and then it worked and like i say the two ladies worked in conjunction with the rea staff and the the staff, the international Liaisons in Chris's office in Chicago, and they were fabulous. So I, I think they really do need to be recognized. But other than that, there really isn't much more to say. I think uh, I think it was a, a terrific show, uh, uh, Cliff, Joe. Um, I, I thank, obviously, my Aussie Bates and um, my long-term friend, Mr. Viola, in there. Appreciate uh, Lee King uh, taking the time to call in. It's a little unfortunate unless, uh, unless Chris happens to call in. They didn't get to weigh in, but hopefully.
1: We do have Chris, so. Uh, uh, Chris, but,
7: you Chris. know what? I'm going to turn it over. I'm going to let Mr. Munchak have the final <laughs> word of the roundup before you close the show out, guys. Uh, so that may be the I'm first time in the history. Chris.
9: That Pete's uh, letting somebody else have the last word. That's not <laughs> <laughs> it. I was stolen, Chris, so hoping you were going to call in, my friend. <laughs> well, I've been here the whole time. I just think that my phone number was was muted. I don't think they knew who I was. So here I am. We had a
1: little uh, mix-up here. But, Chris, welcome, and thanks for your support of IAQ Radio. And uh, any final thoughts on today's show?
9: No. I I, I echo what's been said before. I, I think the, the thing from my perspective in, in working with our team is just the – the incredible work that the volunteers pulled off in Australia to make that event such a success. I mean, there's the entire Australasian Council, you know, really with with very little support from from anyone else, really single-handedly pulled that off. And it was a it was a huge opportunity for RIA to to really you know show everyone uh, in that part of the world that the association could be trusted with you know the the show for the industry there. And and uh, I think it opened a lot of eyes. And I think you know. Owen oh, and, and Ross, you guys will probably agree that we saw some some faces there that we haven't seen in a while at events and I think it was largely because the association had taken over ownership for running that event and it um, it really belongs in the hands of an association and volunteers, you know, running that event. So just just really incredibly proud of the group and, and couldn't be happier at how it turned out.
1: Well said, and a great way to finish things up. Chris, thanks so much for joining us. Cliff, any final thoughts from you before we uh, close out the day?
3: Nope, Joe.
1: I'm good. All right. Well, this is Radio Joe Hughes saying thanks to Chuck Fiola, and we had Ross Reek, Ross Reek, We had uh, Owen Boak, Pete Consigli, of course, the Restoration Industries Global Watchdog, Chris Funcheck, who else? Lee King. Thank you all for joining us. John Faith at the controls. Well done. It was a little hectic, but we got her done. John, you got to have faith. Uh, Also, want to thank our growing group of loyal listeners out there. By the way, It's that time. Uh, Cliff and I are going to take our little summer vacation here. We'll uh, be taking a couple, three weeks off, but I will be in touch with listeners on a regular basis during that three-week period. We will be back in mid-August with the next episode of IAQ Radio.
0: For IAQ Radio, I'm Spike Reed. saying thanks for listening.